right, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to notice what it says in verse 6. It says, Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore that old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, for ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And I love that verse there, how Paul refers to Jesus Christ as our Passover. And the Passover, without a doubt, it was the most important day of the year uh, for the children of Israel. It was their most important holiday. It was a really big deal for them. And I do not believe as a New Testament church, you know, that we are required to observe the Passover like they did in the Old Testament. But I do think it's appropriate to remember the Passover. Without a doubt, I mean, I think it's good for us to remember the sacrifices because those things all point us to Jesus Christ. And so um, it's I do believe it's a very appropriate holiday to talk about, to remember and you know what? I don't even think it's wrong if people kind of, you know, if you wanted to have some of your own traditions uh, when it comes to the Passover. And I'll talk about some of that in a little bit. I just think there's some key things you need to make sure that you're going to include because the Passover is all about Jesus. And a lot of times when today when people talk about the Passover, they like to talk about the Jewish people. And uh, the truth is that's ridiculous. The Passover is about Jesus. He is the He is what it's all about. And the purpose of the Passover was to point people to Jesus Christ. It was a very, uh, you know, many of the things they did were very specific. They were very meticulous. And after Jesus came and offered up himself as a sacrifice, what it was supposed to do, it was supposed to cause the Jews to say, that's why we did all these things. God was showing us something. This clearly was God's plan from the time he took us out of Egypt. In fact, you can go even before that and look at, at Abel. And see what, how uh, his sacrifice was uh, something that pointed to Jesus Christ. And so the purpose of the Passover was to point people to Jesus Christ. But I, let me tell you, I do think it's wrong when Christians take the focus off of the revealed Son of God, take the focus off Jesus Christ, and point to a type or a shadow. I, I don't think that's a good thing to do. If we want to talk about the types and shadows, if we want to remember those things, and I believe we should, the Bible preserve them for us for a reason, I think it's okay as long as we make sure we keep the focus on what they're all about, and that's Jesus Christ. And I, I find it offensive that anybody would celebrate the Passover today without talking about Jesus. And unfortunately, uh, most of the people you know, observing the Passover deny Jesus today, and that's too bad, and that really is a shame. And so... Um, you know, we, whenever you focus on the shadow, in reality, you're going backwards. And I believe I referred to this, uh, I might have referred to this uh, passage on Sunday, but in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, it says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. When I as a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And understand that the Passover, it was, it was, you could say the gospel was included in the Passover, but it was in part, it was in shadow, it was in a shadow. 
But now we have something that's more perfect. We have something that's more complete. We have the record of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And so while at one time, you know, they were looking through a glass even more darkly than we are right now, understand it would be foolish for us to go back to those things. And just like little children, you know, there's things you do. Maybe there's ways you talk about certain things with them. You know, when they're little, you know, if they get hurt or something, uh, you know, if they and they cut themselves, you know, you don't tell them you've got a laceration on your arm or anything like that. You know, he's like, you got a boo-boo, right? But, you know, if your 15-year-old comes up and is like, Mom, I got a boo-boo, like, come on, man. You know, let's not, let's not call it that, all right? You know, we should, we should be past that point. And so understand, people who are observing the Passover at this point, it's like, come on, people. I, I, there was a time when that was all they had and that was necessary. But look, we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have a more full revelation of the things of God and of the gospel. And you know what? When you have, when you talk about the Passover, you should be talking about Jesus. You should be talking about his blood. You can talk about the blood of that lamb that was placed on the door, but you better talk about the blood that was shed on Calvary because that blood that was on that door, that was a picture that was pointing to Jesus Christ. And so we don't want to folk, we don't want to go backwards on these things. And so there are things that are appropriate for the time, but there comes a point where they become inappropriate. The sacrifices were appropriate for a time. The feasts, they were appropriate for a time. All of those dietary restrictions, the temple, they were appropriate for a time, but we have moved on from these things. We have got, we, we have the better Testament. We have the new covenant and no one should go back to those things. God does not expect us to go back to those things. And while God was pleased when the Jews would do it back in the day, he would be displeased with us if we were to do those things today. And let me tell you, when you have these Christians that come along that get more connected to their Hebrew roots, and they, you know, when I see Christians going back to their Hebrew roots, that would be like seeing a grown man who's been out of diapers for years trying to get me to high five him because he's back in diapers again. It's like, I'm sorry, man, you're going backwards. You are going backwards. We should not be getting back to our Hebrew roots. That's, that is doctrinally so far off, and it, it really is a shame. It's not appropriate. It's not appropriate anymore. And so just as there are many things that we have little kids doing in this church that no one has a problem with, you know, we will have a problem if we see it 10 years from now. Okay? You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't get mad when parents take their kids out to go to the bathroom. But when, if you have to take your teenager out to go to the bathroom, you're like, come on. You know, that, that's, it's not appropriate anymore. Well, you didn't get mad at the parents with little kids that did it. No, that's appropriate when they're little. It's part of, you know, that's part of, part of growing up. And so, while we are not dispensationalists, we do believe that some things changed under the new and better covenant. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So God, there was a way God spoke in the past. At one time, God spoke by the prophets. God spoke in different ways. God gave them a law. God gave them a tabernacle and all of those things. But understand, after Jesus Christ came, after he spoke by his son, after Jesus Christ went and he, uh, he commissioned 
those disciples of His to go into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. And after they wrote down their letters and, and these things have been put together for us and we have the completed Word of God, understand that you know this is how God is spoke, speaking to us today. And this is the, the Bible is the authority in our church. And that's something that you know is different than it used to be. But it's, it's, appropriate, and it's, it's appropriate now because God gave it. But those things from before, that was inappropriate. We don't need to go back to that. It's not right. And so there are some things that are good, but they aren't necessarily forever. Look what it says in Hebrews 1.10. It says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And, and they all shall wax old as doth the garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. So while the things that, there's a lot of things in this world that are good, they're not forever. But thankfully, God is forever. God is something that will always be around. And so if you want to give the book of Hebrews a theme, or if you were want to just condense the message of Hebrews to three words, what I would say, call it, is just Jesus is better. That's the theme of Hebrews. Jesus is better. He's saying that to a people who had something that was inferior. They had, they had the law. They had the, the sacrifices. They had the temple. They had the Levitical priests. And the writer of Hebrews is coming along to tell them, it's time to move on from that. And Jesus is better. He's better than all those things. And so when it comes to the things of the Old Testament, we need to understand that this is an area where we need to be careful in our judgment and our participation you could, you could say is a matter of conscience for some people, especially when it comes to the Sabbath. In 1 Corinthians 8, it says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things which are offered in sacrifice and idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. And so, we're not going to go through this whole passage, but the Apostle Paul, you know, he's like, you know, we get that an idol is nothing. But to some people it is, so we don't, we don't want to do things with offense. Because some things mean different things to different people. And so, we need to watch out for that. And, uh, and so, let me just kind of share some things with you, too, when it comes to, you know, what I believe what the Bible teaches on some of this stuff. is clear what the Bible teaches. Some of this is, too, you could say how I feel about the carnal ordinances, the feasts, the dietary laws, and all those things of the Old Testament. So I'm going to give you some things I'm sure of, and I'm going to give you really one thing I'm not 100% sure of But I'm going to get, uh, when it comes to the Passover, but I'm going to kind of give you some principles that I think as long as you follow these, you're going to be good. But for, I am for sure convinced that we are not required to practice any of the holidays, the Sabbaths, dietary laws and things like that. I'm 100% convinced of that. Uh, Colossians 2.16 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat. Tell that to the vegans, right? Uh, Or in drink, or in respect of any holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. Why not? Which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So why, you say, well, those things, you look at the Old Testament, they seem like a pretty big deal. Well, they were then, you know, it was a big deal. It was appropriate for that time. But those things were all a shadow of things to come. The dietary laws, 
the new moons, the Sabbaths, the feasts, those things, they were all, the, all those carnal ordinances were a shadow of things to come. And guess what? Those things came. So we don't need to do those things anymore. We don't need to practice those things anymore. Those things came. And so we are not required to do those things. Somebody catches me working on the Sabbath, I'm not, I'm not sweating it. I'm not worried about it. I'm, I'm not, it's, and Bible clearly tells us, let no man judge you in that. And you know, people always act like, well, you know, that's contrary, or that's contrary or contradicting some of them Old Testament passages. But no, actually it isn't because Jesus said that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath and the law itself, when it, the law of Moses said, when that prophet that the Lord raises up among your brethren like unto me, hear him. So if Jesus said to move on from those things, we are being obedient to the law. Because the Sabbath is not the only thing it talked about. The feast isn't the only thing it talked about. It clearly said, you do these things, but when that other prophet comes, you do what he says to do. And so, you know what? That's exactly what we're doing. So we are obeying, we are obeying the law. We're not doing anything contrary to the Scriptures. And, and uh, we don't want to have this dispensational attitude. It's like, well, you know, that was you know, something they just did in that dispensation. No, that was something they did until the Lord of the Sabbath came along, the prophet like unto Moses came along and said, do something else. And that you, or you don't have to do these things. And who said, who inspired Paul to say, let no man judge you on these things. So, um, I, I am convinced we're not required to do those things. I also, for sure, think it is wrong for you to try to push other people to follow these things. Okay? Now, fortunately, I haven't had any problems in our church for some reason of people pushing Hebrew root stuff and uh, Jewish traditions or anything like that. We don't really have that problem here, but I'm gonna. But you know, this is appropriate anyway. We're gonna cover it. But Colossians 2:18 says, "Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things." which ye have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, which is the things of the Old Testament, which is the things of the temple, if you're dead from those things, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? Now, I'll let you all exegete this one for me just in case I'm having trouble interpreting this. I'm, I, I think this next part means God doesn't want us messing with it when He says, touch not, taste not, handle not. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Sounds like we're not supposed to mess, mess with it. He says, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things indeed uh, have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So the truth is, when you, it's, Paul's make it very clear, when you start practicing these carnal ordinances, trying to go back to these things, getting connected to your Hebrew roots, doing all these outward things, you know, wearing your little yarmulkes that even some Messianic so-called you know, Jews are doing, or Messianic Christians are doing putting a mezuzah on your door observing the sabbath all these things people are doing you know prayer shawls i know baptists that are always preaching on the prayer shawl and i just that blows my mind that's not even in the bible 
But yet they're preaching on that. It's pretty much any big like Hope of Israel conference, they have a whole thing on the prayer shawl, which is just absolutely blows my mind. But understand all those outward things, they're just a show of things in the flesh, and it's the flesh that motivates people to want to do those things. I mean, folks, I mean, you know, look at how many of your secret societies and things, what do they always want to do? They always want to have their weird hats. You know, the Masons want to wear their aprons. What, you know, what's the group that wears those tall Middle Eastern looking hats? Shriners. You know, folks, that stuff is so showy. Christians are not supposed to be about that stuff. We are not supposed to be about that kind of thing. But yet, people in their fleshly mind, they will go to the Old Testament that those things were temporary. And they'll say, well, you know, they had to do them back then. Well, yeah, you used to have to wear diapers. But you know what? Hopefully you grow out of it. And these people, they're all wanting to go back to these things. And it's carnal. It's not right. We shouldn't do these things. And so, I am highly suspicious of any Christians, especially today, who feel the need to do these things or feel it's necessary. Say, well, that doesn't seem right. Well, listen to what Paul said in Galatians 4.8. He says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods? But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? And that is referring to the things of the temple again. That's referring to the things of the Old Testament. He called them weak and beggarly. And you say, well, you know what? I don't see why he's talking so bad about that. They sure seem pretty good in the Old Testament. Yes, when they were, that was when they were children. We've grown out of that now. And one thing that I can, I can tell you that I can testify of is that, you know, every stage of life, every time I've gotten to like a next stage in life, you know, it's actually gotten better. I remember my dad used to always tell me, you know what, enjoy these, you know, teenage years, enjoy these years being in school where your only responsibility is just going to school and learning. You have all your bills paid and all that, all that kind of stuff. This is the best time of your life. You know what? My dad was right about most stuff. He was wrong about that. Cause you know what? I liked it better when I became an adult. I liked it when I got a driver's license. I mean, yeah, there were some responsibilities and challenges and things, but you know what? I liked it. I like, I remember when I was getting married, I had all these guys I worked with warning me, tell me, do not get married. Do not get married. You're, you're too young. You know, you need to go be single for a while and enjoy yourself. No, my life got better when I got married. Oh, wait to have kids. I had, we had Tommy nine months later, Jason, 12 and a half months after that. And, and, but you know what? Our life has gotten better. And we, you know, we've had eight kids. And our life is better. I don't want to go back to any previous time in my life. I, I never look back at any time and I'm like, you know, I'd like, I'd like to go back. To, I don't want to go back to that. I feel like I'm in my prime right now and I'm in my 40s. And maybe it's a midlife crisis thing and I'm just telling myself that. But no, I, I think it's better. And you know what? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a little nervous right now where my kids are becoming adults and, you know, starting relationships with other people. But you know what? So far it's going pretty good and I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to like being a father-in-law. I think I'm going to like being a grandpa. I'm, I'm liking the idea of going on to these next things. And you know what? I don't want to go back. I'm glad I don't have to listen to my dad. My wife used to say, you know, she used to talk about, you know, back when we were dating and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, it stunk back when we were dating. Your mom would tell me to go home. Your mom. I had to get your mom's permission to do anything with you. That stunk. Why would I go back? Why would I want to go back to dating? That was the worst six months of my life. But you know what? I thought it was great. I thought it was great. When I, it was, I, I enjoyed dating. 
I have a girlfriend. I have a fiance. We're going to get married. But it was so much better when we got married. Boy, I can't imagine going back to that. Forget that kind of thing. And so, for, it's the same thing when it comes to the things of God. For people to want to go backwards to the things of the Old Testament, which were appropriate for the time. What is it that we call, what is it we call dating in our house? The kind of dating we do. called prison dating. Now, I didn't call it that when we were doing that. I was just glad to be dating. I was just glad to have a girlfriend. But I look back at it and I was like, man, that stinks to get permission for everything. And, and not only did we have to get permission for everything, we weren't allowed to do hardly anything. You know, because you know, you're supposed to keep your hands off a girl you're not married to. And you know what? I agree with that rule. That's biblical. But it stinks. <laughs> but you know what? You're always glad you did it once you get married. It, it, it's so much better. And so, you know, I'm, I'm in that point right now where I'm torturing my kids with that stuff. But, and, you know, but they'll, they'll be glad. They'll be thankful one of these days. And you know what? There's going to be something wrong if after they get married, like, yeah, you know, we decide to go back to dating. We're, we're going to get divorced because we enjoyed being boyfriend and girlfriend better when we weren't allowed to do anything. You guys got a weird relationship. Something's really wrong. And Paul, he's wondering about these people who are wanting to go back to these things that are in bondage, is what he called it. Your desire to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years? I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. He said something's very wrong. And if, if, if my son got married, and after they've been married for a while, they decided we're going to get divorced, but we're going to go back to being engaged... I'm just going to think that's weird and I'm going to be very concerned about their relationship because no one should want to do that. And let me tell you something. No one who is saved should want to go back to the things of the Old Testament. They shouldn't want to go back to the things of the temple. That doesn't make any sense. And so I also for sure can say that it potentially could be a stumbling block to pretend or to try to observe things like the Passover. So, and, and, and that's because for one, I, that's one of the reasons I want to stay away from the Hebrew roots stuff for many reasons. But again, it could be a stumbling block because, again, a lot of people, if they're not real mature in their faith, if there's a lot of things they don't understand about the Bible, if we start telling them, well, you know what, you really should be observing the Passover. I mean, we're just we're just adding one of the laws back. We're just adding one. Well, then it might be easy for somebody else to come along and say, well, you know, we really should be doing the Sabbath, too. Well, and, you know. That pork, eating pork seems like a pretty big deal. And about, you know, we're going to mess somebody up if we do that kind of thing. And I'm telling you, across the board, when it comes to the feasts, the holidays, the dietary restrictions, the Sabbaths, we shouldn't judge people in that. I mean, we ought to act like the liberals in that area. And when people bring that stuff, we ought to say, don't judge, don't judge. The Bible says judge not. And it does say judge not about those things. About those things. And so anybody that would come along and push that kind of thing, you got to worry about them. I'm concerned about them. I really am. But, you know, here's an area, though, where I'm not maybe 100% sure. And, and that is, is it wrong to observe or even practice certain aspects of the Passover? You know, is it for sure? Because I do think there's an area where it can potentially be okay where you aren't sinning. Because some people would say, well, the Lord's Supper that we do, it's kind of like the Passover. And I, I, would, I would agree with that. I've got no argument. Against that, yeah, it, it really is. It's it's definitely not exactly like it, but for sure, 
there are some similarities. So that's why I'm not going to get up and say we should have nothing to do with the Passover. We're not going to do that. I, I believe when, whatever, but I do believe whatever somebody is doing anything that involves the Passover, I think it's okay. I said if you want to make up your own traditions, you know, uh, just to remember the Passover. A lot of people watch the Ten Commandments uh, on the Passover. Uh, is a big thing that a lot of people do. Just don't watch the Christian Bale Exodus. Do not watch that. But anyway, uh, I'm, not, I'm not endorsing either of them, but especially not the Christian Bale one. But I'm just, just always remember this. You, I don't care what you do, you are not keeping the Passover like in the Old Testament. You're not doing that. You're not putting blood on your door. That's how they did it the first Passover. You know, you're not eating the unleavened bread in haste with the staff in your hand and your shoes on your feet. You're not doing all that. You're not doing all that stuff. You're not even doing the Passover that they started observing later after that. You're not doing all those things. You're not making sure there's no leaven in any, any of your coasts. Are you, are you checking your houses to make sure there's none of that stuff? No. What everybody's doing today is a cheap, lame, synagogue of Satan shortcut version of the Passover. And, and I, it fries my gizzard when I hear Baptists talking about observing the Passover. No, you're not. If you want to tell me you're remembering the Passover, if you, if you have something you want to do to remember the Passover, that's fine. But don't, do not pretend or think for one second you are keeping the Passover like in the Old Testament. We're not capable of that. Also, I don't think it's wrong for you to remember the Passover as long as you make Jesus the focus and not the shadow. Jesus is the focus, not the shadow. It's about Jesus. The Passover was a shadow of Jesus Christ. That blood on the doorpost, that was a shadow of the blood of Christ. That angel of death passing over that house that had the blood on the door, that was a shadow of the wrath of God passing over you because of the blood of Christ that has washed you and cleansed you from your sin. That's a picture of that. And by all means, we should always look back at those stories and remember those things and talk about those things. So if you want to use the Passover and that this time of year to talk about Jesus Christ, by all means, do it. I also think, and so I do, I think it would be appropriate for families to use this time of year to remind themselves of what Jesus did. I think it's important for us as a church. I think it's good for us as a church to use this time of year to remind ourselves of what Jesus did. For sure, that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. I've preached multiple messages on that. The Lord's Supper is all about remembering and celebrating not the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost, but the blood of the Lamb on the cross. That's what we focus on. That blood of the Lamb on the, on the doorpost was pointing to the cross. Our Lord's Supper that we're observing is pointing to the cross. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. So again, nobody, it is, it is blasphemous to just to do stuff that's all about the Passover, supposedly, and to not mention Jesus. What a shame that is to do that kind of thing. And I do. I find it offensive that so-called Jews today are celebrating the Passover. I find it offensive because they're not mentioning Jesus. And so, if you want to have your own Passover traditions, I think that would be great. I, the, the important thing is everyone needs to remember the body of Jesus Christ and how it was the sacrifice and payment for our sins. And so what about Exodus 12:14? Because people bring this up too. It says, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. So right there, we got to do, this is something we got to do forever. But here's the thing. We can only keep the law through Jesus Christ. 
That's the only way we can keep the law, ladies and gentlemen. That is why Paul said, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Okay, All the things that the Passover was to do for them, Jesus Christ completed those things for us. So when it comes to obeying this passage, when it comes to obeying all of the law, we do that through faith in Christ. We don't do it by observing carnal ordinances. We don't do it by works. We don't do it that way. We do it through faith in Jesus Christ. God, and and so um, all the things of the law, even the things concerning the Passover, were completed by Christ. And And it wasn't because when Jesus came, remember he said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. So folks, we don't need to do this to fulfill it. Yeah, that's in the law. But Jesus fulfilled that law. But it says forever. Yeah, he fulfilled it forever. He, he did it with a one-time sacrifice of his body on the cross. And so because I, I trusted Jesus who did all the things of the Passover through the sacrifice of his body, I'm covered. I'm good on that. So have you done that? Have you kept that law? Yeah, I'm covered on that law because I, I have Jesus Christ as my high priest. And so Hebrews chapter 10, I'm not going to take time to go through all this passage, but let me just hit a few highlights because this is what the Jews need to be looking at. This is very important. It says in verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. So he's like, if those things actually could complete something, we'd still be doing them. But you know what? They weren't able to do something, and so something else had to come, and it was Jesus. But in those sacrifices, there was made a remembrance again, made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of a book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. And, and you know what? Where's the part that we do in here? Jesus took away that first part so he could do the second part. Where's what we do? You know, it's not in there. You know why? Because we can't do it. We couldn't do the first thing. Jesus Christ came and he did it for us. By the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And you know what? Notice how he's sitting down. He's done. It's finished. He's resting. Well, I, I still think he needs you keeping the Sabbath. No, you know what? He's resting. He's, he's seated. We don't need to worry about all these things. And so, and we'll jump down to verse 18. It says, Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, 
and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And remember what we talked about Sunday, how Jesus Christ is that faithful high priest. And so we are covered because of what He did. And let me tell you, Judaizers, Hebrew roots teaching, those things were clearly around in the first century. And it was without a doubt very powerful back then while that temple was still standing. Imagine how tempting it would be to go to those things if the temple was still standing. But you know what? You know, in, in, in the traditional Temple Mount today, they have the Dome of the Rock that's there. And I, I wanted to go inside there when we were there. But you know what they ask you? Are you Muslim? You know what? I'd like to go into that dome, but I ain't pretending I'm a Muslim to do it. I don't want to go in there that bad. I'll let them kill me before I'm going to tell them I'm a Muslim. You know, because as far as I'm concerned, that would, that would be denying Christ. But imagine, you know, a lot of people would really like to see the temple if they had that. But, you know, you'd probably have to be Jewish, all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Here, here's what the writer of Hebrews thought about the temple, even when it was still standing. And it says in Hebrews 13:10, we have an altar where they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. They would take those, just like they used to take those one sacrifices outside the gate and sacrifice them there. Jesus, when he was sacrificed, you know what they did? They took him outside the gate. They took him outside the temple. You know why? Because those, those sacrifices were also a shadow of Jesus Christ. And so you know what he said? Just like Jesus suffered without the gate, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. You know what they're saying? Let's leave the camp. Let's leave the temple. Let's follow Jesus. Let's take that reproach. Yeah, your Jewish brothers, they're going to get mad at you for it. They're going to call you all kinds of things. They're going to persecute you. But you know what? Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the things of the temple. Let's follow him without the camp. What we need, what we, what people need to be doing is they need to stop getting back to their Hebrew roots and they need to go after Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who is better. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of, uh, of praise unto God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. You know what, you ought, you know what sacrifice you ought to make on the Passover? The sacrifice of praise. Talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. Somebody comes up to you and they bring up the Passover to you. Talk about Jesus. That's what you should do. They bring up any of those things. Talk about Jesus. It's all about Him. Jesus is better. The Passover, it is all about Jesus. It's all, it, was, it was just one thing that they had pointing people to the cross. And tonight, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper. And we are doing that, not like they did back then, slightly different. But we don't, we're looking at the same thing they were, but at a different vantage point with a more complete understanding and, and with, a, with a more mature way of doing it. We don't have to go back. What they did was weak and beggarly. What we have is so much better because we have Jesus Christ. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much again for you, uh, Your sacrifice that You made on our behalf. And we're thankful, Lord, that uh, it's something that we can trust in. We're so thankful that 
It's a one-time thing that we never have to worry about again, that we can uh, go to bed every night. Lord, just knowing for sure that we're going to go to heaven someday, we never have to worry about hell because the blood has been applied in our life and it's not going to wash away. It's not going to go away. It will always be there. And so we thank you for it. And so I pray as we uh, remember this tonight, as we uh, take this cup and this bread, uh, it will cause us to think about you and what you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.